Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. Great to have you with us tonight. We are joined right now by, excuse me, by Greg Mitchell, who is my co-editor on the site. We will be also joined by Chris Schutte, our writer and resident bad take-haver. Uh, are you both there? Yeah, this is Greg. I'm here. And I love that nickname for uh, Chris because that means it's not, my, it's not mine, which it usually is. So well, I like that. I mean, I, I think last time with the whole Home Alone discussion, that is a title that he earned. <laughs> Happy to be back on, guys, and I embrace my role as the site's resident uh, bad take haver. <laughs> so we have um, quite a bit to talk about tonight, and in about, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, we're going to get the winner of the 2016 Silver Sword, of course, the most prestigious honor you can have in the college basketball world. Uh, Sean Bach, one of the prizes for winning was the opportunity to come on the podcast and talk about your favorite team. Sean's favorite team is the Indiana Hoosiers. So for tonight, Indiana is a mid-major, and we will be talking about them um, in just a little bit. But first, Greg, you wrote a story this week after rumors surfaced of Wichita State potentially going to the American Athletic Conference. Uh, Conversations have reportedly been had. Uh, There are um, some stumbling blocks in the way, but it is something that could happen. It seems like there's interest on both sides. What is your take from the perspective of the Shockers? Well, you know, as I wrote in the piece, I think think it's a great move um, just because, you know, the financials of it would almost certainly, you know, be an improvement for them. Um, What's a little bit frustrating about this is that when the MVC signed their new TV deal in, um, I believe it was 2015, they did not release uh, the uh, uh, value of it. So we don't have that piece. And we also don't know, what we do know is that for the American, what they signed in 2014 was a seven-year $126 million deal. I think I remember the number right. Um, but that was for, you know, football and basketball. So we, we don't know what the Shockers, what, what their uh, cut would be not having a, a, a uh, football team. So it's hard to compare it, but I think it's safe to say that the financials of it would improve for them. Um, I, I, I think it's certainly an interesting uh, question as to how they'd fare um, in the conference. I imagine as long as uh, Greg Marshall is there, it's uh, pretty safe to say that they'd be competitive and that they wouldn't be a complete shock. Uh, that was no pun intended. That completely just rolled off my tongue. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I was saying that, and I was like, "Stop saying that." Um, but you know, and that's something that I'd like to I'd, I'd like to get uh, your guys' opinion on, um, because right now, a lot of these years, you know, if they don't take care of a business right away in the non-conference, and if they don't schedule well, the way the NBC is going right now, I know it can change in a matter of years, but the way it's going right now is, you know, they're going to be in, in you know, have to depend 
on Arch Madness every year to get into the uh, the uh, tournament. Now, because they have some name that that certainly uh, will will help them. But you know, I, from a basketball standpoint and financial standpoint, it seems like a great move. So, I will shut up, and I I love to hear what you guys think about it. All right, uh, Chris, I'll open it up to you first. Uh, kind of taking the opposite oh. viewpoint. Uh, dog back. Yeah, I know. I was oh, going for the mute button quickly, and I couldn't get it. Uh, no worries. Um, but, yeah, taking kind of the opposite uh, side, I was reading an article by Mike DeCourcy that he kind of wrote about it last week, and he's saying that he thinks um, the Shockers could should stay in the Missouri Valley and kind of take the the Gonzaga route and kind of be that uh, that mid major that kind of operates as a as a high major and kind of dominating their conference year in and year out. Um, since the uh, American conference has kind of been a little unstable with all the talk of Big 12 expansion, um, obviously the football is going to play a big factor. I'm not sure if the timing of the move is exactly right for it. And that certainly makes sense. I guess, you know, like the one thing I'll say to that is that how many Gonzagas are there out there? You know, and, 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 and that's a, a question. Um, uh, besides Gonzaga, are there other programs that have found that way to be successful uh, that you guys can think of? Because I can't think of another one just off the top of my head that's been consistently I mean, that not, successful. I know that there are yeah, not, not on I mean, that they are, it, Yeah, but I, I don't know that that's uh, necessarily as viable a route as it seems. Uh, 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 does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, Gonzaga has shown that it can be done. And, you know, sure, maybe Wichita State can fill that role. But here's the thing. Gonzaga has only been relevant nationally in the Mark Few years. Now, it started with Dan Munson and Mark Few as an assistant. Um, but really, we've come to know Gonzaga under Mark Few. I don't know what that program looks like if he were to leave whenever he mm-hmm. does eventually. And even so, I mean, he's built that program up, up to the point where it's probably competitive anyway. I don't know what happens to Wichita State if Greg Marshall leaves. Now, if Wichita State is competing in the American and Greg Marshall, you know, leaves for a, a high major job or whatever, then having the exposure of the AAC, having probably a little bit more money, and, you know, let's face it, the competition playing Cincinnati, UConn, Memphis, uh, Houston, Temple, that's a whole lot better than the competition in the Valley. That's all stuff that you can use to potentially bring in a better coach than you would be able to recruit um, in the Valley. So I think Wichita State has a more stable future in the American. Um, I read Mike DeCourcy's piece as well, and actually when I saw it, my first thought was, uh, well, this is another DeCourcy short-sighted uh, yeah. bad take. But he he did make some good points, and I think it might be hard for us to say too definitively either way uh, without knowing what they are taking home uh, in their TV deal right now. Um, the other wrench in this 
is that Wichita State's been talking for a while now about starting their football program again. And if that's the case, they would need a new conference to play in because the Missouri Valley does not sponsor FBS football, and the American does. So maybe that's a route. And if the American were to add a 13th school, they would have to add a 14th, and then, you know, you could add somebody else who's going to strengthen your brand. And suddenly the AAC is even better. AAC is already the most successful and most lucrative of the group of five conferences, and that would only help. So that's also something that needs to be considered. Um, I don't know what sort of timeline we're looking at here for a decision either way or if there's if we're at a point where we could say there's going to be a decision, if that's even in the discussion right now, but I think football is going to end up playing a role in this. That's a great point, yeah. Um, and then I guess just, you know, if this were to happen, where does this leave the NBC in your eyes? Yeah, that's another thing, because remember, the Valley lost Creighton a couple of years ago as well to the Big East, losing Wichita State, their other most consistent program. Boy, that would be a, it would be a huge blow. Um, and, you know, in Northern Iowa is a very good program. I think they would be mm-hmm. looked at as the next one-up. But they don't have the consistency that Creighton and Wichita State do. Uh, there are other programs that have good years every once in a while and could be, you know, respectable top 40 teams in the country. Um, but, again, there's no real brand name. And you have to wonder, does the Valley look to replace Wichita? And if so, where? Yeah, absolutely. and I don't have something you talk. About. No, yeah, I mean it's it's you know as you as you go down the list, I think you said it perfectly. There's uh, uh, programs that will have successful years, but there's just been no sustained success with the, the current teams in the league besides you and I. If Wichita State were to leave, uh, maybe Southern Illinois is the last one under uh, Bruce Weber and uh, Chris Lowe at the beginning. Right, but other than that, it's it's been, yeah, it's just you don't have the brand name there, as you said. So, and I and I think it's interesting that last time they went for Loyola Chicago, um, and I'm assuming the reason was because you know you get in the Chicago market and everybody, you know, there's just a thought out there. I mean, it hasn't really worked in Illinois lately, but you know that if you got access to Chicago, you've got a very high ceiling as a basketball program. I wonder if that's kind of why they you know, a reason they chose them. So, you know, in that vein, I wonder if there is another school out there like that that has that kind of high potential um, that they would consider. Oh, I, I think one one school that you mentioned was maybe Valparaiso. Mm-hmm. So, I don't yeah, know. I mean, from, I mean, that would certainly seem like a great fit, right? Um and that I think it's pretty safe to say, even if, even without Wichita State, the Valley is still an upgrade. Uh, yeah. Do you guys agree with that? I would, yeah, yeah. Pro- probably. No offense to Oakland fans, but <laughs> we got it in there. <laughs> I like it. Twelve minutes in. Hey, speaking of speaking of Oakland, I 
did end up on one of their message boards today, and they do talk very kindly of us, and they say they enjoy our Twitter banter. Um, there are one or two <laughs> Oakland fans who are just miserable humans, but the rest of them are actually a lot of fun and good people, and they really care a lot about their team and probably don't want me to mention that right now they're losing to Northeastern uh, 38-32, 15 minutes to play in that one. Oof. That's the one they have to get to because with uh, with uh, Michigan State and, and I believe it's uh, Georgia is that the other one they have behind yeah. behind Michigan State can't lose that first one so that would be let's hope for their for their sake they can uh, turn it around yeah and Northeastern's not a bad team I mean, they won at Michigan State this week they won at UConn that's not an automatic win here so if we could transition from the uh, Wichita State discussion for a second. There's been a lot of talk on the Twitters about us not ranking Arkansas State in our weekly power rankings, and I wanted to touch on that quickly, see if you guys had anything to say. The Red Wolves, I'll read you out their resume now. It's very strong, and I think uh, Arkansas State fans do have an argument here. Um, they, we all know they won at Georgetown. All right, they beat Chattanooga on a neutral court. Chattanooga is the team we have ranked. They're good. Uh, they beat Lehigh at home. Lehigh is a top 100 team. Losses are to North Dakota State at North Dakota State. That's not a terrible loss, but not a very good one. And they lost at TCU. That's a top 50 loss. Not bad at all. Um, what do you guys think? Do they are they a top twenty five quality team? I mean, based off the resume you provided, I'm looking at it right now. I'm trying to pull up my my polls to see um, where I had them. Yeah, did um, we make a mistake not ranking them? Is is I think my question. Well, we might have. I think I'm. I might be guilty of doing that. I had him, I think, two weeks ago. I had him around the middle of my rankings. And then, um, if you, obviously, if you've noticed teams off my uh, rankings every once in a while, so um, they might be, um, they might have just been omitted on accident. But um, based off the resume, yeah, I think they definitely can make a case for um, cracking the top 25 for us. Yeah. Uh, Greg, did you think the same thing? Did you have them ranked? Did we lose Greg? He might have. Maybe it's just his dog. Yep. I had it on mute. How about that? I mean, I said some great things about <laughs> it on mute, too. Oh. That's a concentrated. Uh, I'm sure you did. Um, no, I was saying that I, you know, I, I think I completely agree with Chris. I think I'm also uh, guilty of that. Um, I have thought about them. Um, I think what swayed me away was just, you know, what have you done for me lately? And I know it's not the right way to think because the Lehigh one is great, like you said. Chattanooga is a great win. Then obviously the the, the uh, Georgetown win. I think with me, and this is the way I think about this, is like, I have, for example, I have a team like UAB ranked, and I think I'm one of the few people that still has them ranked. Um, and that's just more because I look at them, I love the talent, and I think that, you know, down the line this is a team that, 
if I'm a power coach and they somehow, you know, they win a CUSA tournament and getting, and I'd, I'd be afraid to play them. Um, I, I don't know that I have that same, not granted I haven't watched Arkansas State as much, but I don't know that I had that same thought with them. But um, I will admit that I, I probably should have ranked them, and I think this is a good moment that we're having this discussion because I don't think I'll make that, that, that mistake again. If they beat Alabama and Minnesota, which, you know, that'd be a huge week this week. So, yeah, that, that's that's the thing, right? Like, I, th- I think we all agree that whether we have them ranked or not, we could have, and there wouldn't have been much argument against it. But, you know, let's say we have a couple of teams lose some games and drop out this week. How would you judge uh, an Arkansas State team that, say, maybe loses close games to Alabama and Minnesota. I mean, those are two power conference schools. You know, if they give them a fight, do, do you take that into account, or is a loss a loss? And how do you, would you be willing to move them into your rankings after a two-loss week, or no? Yeah, I would. This is a Greg. Yeah, I, I, I certainly would because I think that. I'd be a hypocrite after after saying that you know I don't rank based on the record. I I, I more rank on how you know how high how actually uh, you know head to head against other teams how I think those teams would fare. So if they if they show up and they can play well against uh, against those two teams, I, I mean absolutely. I think I think that would approve as much as the wins they've had the last two times out over like, UT Martin and Central Arkansas. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm glad you bring up, you know, ranking teams based on their record or or versus how they would fare against each other because I think this is at least what I've found this is something that differs greatly from say the AP top 25 poll or the coaches poll mm-hmm. where you have let's face it the best teams in the country. Um, yep. You know, our poll has something Gonzaga and St. Mary's are in that conversation, but. They have the 25 best schools in the country. Um, most of those schools will win every week, whereas we have schools that are going to play them in bye games or, you know, in just regular old early season tune-up games. So we're dealing with a lot of teams that will take losses. So I think in this time of year, you do need to rank based more on where you see them finishing rather than what they've done so far. I think in some ways, at least. And I think that's, that's part of the point. reason why so many people still have San Diego State ranked. Yeah, and Even I'm, I'm one of those people. And yeah, and I, I, I remember seeing a point you made on Twitter about this. About I believe it was San Diego State a few weeks ago. Or, uh, it might have been right. last week. Um, and yeah, that's, yeah it, that's absolutely. Like, I don't I feel kind of wrong when I put, when, you know, I keep including them in the rankings specifically, but I, I think they're good. I think they have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, talent. I think they'll eventually turn around. But you know, up to this point, Arkansas State has had, you know, on paper the more successful year, and there's, there's no denying that. So, right. I don't know. Now, of course, conference play is going to start soon, and we won't have to have that conversation anymore because teams will start playing each other and that will give us as good a barometer as you could possibly ask for. Um, and we won't have to rely so much on that guesswork, I guess. Um, so 
with that, we could transition quickly. I mentioned this up at the top. I'll say it again. Every year I host a game called the Silver Sword. What it is is basically just picking winners of the Feast Week tournaments, the Maui Invitational Battle for Atlantis and the like. Um, I give prizes to the top finishers. One of the several prizes for the first place finisher was a spot on this podcast to come on and talk about your favorite team. And with that, we have the 2016 Silver Sword champion, Sean Bach, on the line now to talk about the Indiana Hoosiers. Are you there? Yeah, what's up, guys? Hey, what's, going on? what's up? Congratulations. Hey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I think I mentioned this to you when we were talking about getting you on here, but there is a fellow, is it Indiana, or do we just say Hoosier? Chris is also, all right, well, Chris is a Hoosier who is not a Hoosier fan, is that correct? I am a Hoosier who's a Hoosier fan, um, lifelong IU fan, but I go to school at um, IUPUI, so my allegiances are kind of divided this, this time of year, but my heart of hearts, yes, I am a I am a Hoosier fan. Yeah, I mean I'm gotcha. from Illinois, so I grew up in Illinois. When Tom Crane came by, you I Actually, so let's uh, let's talk Indiana then. Uh, Hoosiers are nine and two. They beat Kansas to open the season. They have a win over North Carolina. Of course, they had that loss to Fort Wayne. Uh, back in November, they lost over the weekend uh, to Butler. Uh, get, give me some Hoosier thoughts. What do you think of the team so far? Well, Mr. Bach. Um, you can't really take anything away from IU, especially when you do camp. But it's kind of kind of hard to take that all away. You see a lot of Fort Wayne. But, I mean, Fort Wayne's not a bad team. Uh, I think they have a good chance to win the Summit League this year. I think the NCAA tournament. They got a couple of guys, Indiana All-Stars, coming out of high school. Scott and uh, Mo Evans. And uh, those big men who just dominated Tom Stanton and Swan Morgan. And another thing is that Indiana didn't really have Adrian and Moses either playing that game. So that's kind of – maybe the committee will take a look at that. Um, March, but we still got a long way to go. Uh, the Big Ten, as you guys know, is kind of unpredictable this year, um, especially with the struggles in Michigan State and the resurgence of Northwestern and maybe in Ohio State. So, honestly, as a Hoosier fan, I'm kind of optimistic so far. Uh, I'm usually kind of a black half full kind of guy, and we have OG coming off of injury, so uh, he. He's still kind of getting used to the get back in the flow. And once we get him back in the flow of things, I think we'll be all right. But the big struggle this year really has been the point guard play. The loss of Yogi is really hurt now. Uh, I really don't. I like Josh Meeker's game, but I really don't see him right now as kind of a guy who will lead this team. And same thing with Curtis Jones, the freshman coming up the bench. He shows what he's got potential, but I really don't know. I. Don't, yeah, particularly don't, not a huge fan of them. Uh, they're only now from, so that's definitely going to be a big question 
in March. And uh, last week, just Thomas Bryant, uh, we saw in the Butler game, he played really well to start off when we were actually giving him the ball. Then we just stopped giving him the ball, which I'm still thinking ahead about. And we kind of just didn't have any flow on offense or anything. It was an all-out terrible game, so. Uh, yeah, like I said earlier, uh, I think this, I think IU will be fine. Um, defense is definitely the biggest two like the last year turnovers, so I really don't know. Um, I just had point guard play up too, but I think we could be a maybe a two or three season I feel like maybe make a run in the big ten. I don't know about winning it this year. This is Wisconsin has just really good so to do. And yeah, it's not it's not all I got. Yeah. I agree with uh, a lot of the points you made. Um, I kind of agree being the glass half full. I think that, um, yeah, they're still kind of figuring out who they are as a team. They've had a lot of um, – had some injuries here and there and a lot of guys kind of stepping into bigger roles from last year. So I think uh, later on in the season, probably about by February or so, Cream will probably have his – probably have his rotation kind of figured out and know who his crunch time guys are and, whose offense is going to flow through now. Um, but, yeah, I think right now they're still kind of feeling feeling each other out, kind of getting a feel for how to play with each other so that um, they can start kind of being more consistent from a game-to-game basis. Yeah, it's also, it's also got to be like, who's been that because James Jackson has been that guy so far, kind of, but he's going to have really one game against Andrew where he's really like the guy. Sorry, if I could interrupt you. I'm having a really, really tough time hearing you. Um, It seems like you don't have a really good connection. Okay. Um, Can you maybe uh, hang up and call right back and see if it's... Yeah. Yeah. All right. That, I don't know All if right. that'll work, but we'll we'll see. All right. All right. Thanks. See, I, I need to get a chance. I have to get. Well, I guess I can thank you, uh, Chris, for uh, that uh, Kansas win. Just as Missouri fans, that was a great <laughs> way to start the season. That's probably the highlight of my season. So thank you for that. Um, but no, as he, you know, as he, as, as Sean calls back, I think he made a, a, a great point about the uh, a Fort Wayne game. And I, I, I really would hope that, and, and I don't think he will because Indiana's obviously bounced back from that, and they're a very good team. But, you know, I, I would hate to see that game, you know, punish them in any way, whether it's, you know, when they get their NCAA tournament seat or anything like that, because, you know, just as, as, a, as a basketball fan and, and you, know, a, you know, I guess I guess you could say advocate of, of a mid-major team, you know, that was a really neat game, and that was, you know, we need more things like that. Right. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I definitely agree that I don't think they should be dinged at all if, uh, for losing to Fort Wayne. Um, obviously, I write the Summit League rankings every week, and I think it's pretty clear so far uh, in this juncture in the season that Fort Wayne's kind of a cut above the rest of the mm-hmm. um, the rest of the conference. And I mean, last year they they were the favorites going into the. Uh, year as well and then um 
when Mo Evans went down for I think it was um, for academics, I believe they kind of um, kind of lost their way in the uh, in the summer league tournament. But yeah, I think um, for kind of the national media that might say, "Oh, ha ha, Indiana blew a game to IPFW." No, if you um, kind of look at their resume, you'll notice that the IPFW is really, really good. Yeah. Now, and I, yeah. I know you said in the, in the uh, power rankings this afternoon that, you know, that's not just the best backcourt in the Summer League. It's, you know, one of the top in all the country. So, I mean, there's no there's no shame in that whatsoever. Yeah. Sean, are you yeah. back? Yeah. Can you hear me better? Uh, yeah, I could hear you. All right. Sounds good. All right, so we were just making you feel better about that Fort Wayne loss. <laughs> so I, honestly, I wasn't that I wasn't that salty about it. I mean, that's a tough place to. I, mean, I wouldn't say a tough place to play because most of the fans are IU fans, but uh, honestly, just a neutral court game and a game like that. I mean, it's tough uh, coming off a game like a win against Kansas or something like that. You still kind of got that little bit of a little bit of a hangover and you're not really sure uh, how to play well together and that really shows right there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you already have two wins over top ten programs as well. Now, you go – I'm just looking at the schedule right now. you got a bye game against Austin P. then – our conference play um, with Nebraska. Just looking at the schedule, is there a stretch to you that stands out as a time where we're we're really going to learn a lot about this team? I think Louisville, Wisconsin, back-to-back New Year's Eve and January 3rd could be a really good opportunity for you guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a couple of stretches that I think. Uh, well, definitely there's this one. February 5th, they play Wisconsin at the Cole Center. And then Purdue comes to Bloomington on February 9th. And then they play Michigan at home on February 12th, which is always a good game. And then there's this stretch right here, Michigan State at home, Michigan away, which IU seems to struggle uh, at Michigan. And then Northwestern away, which is really a game that worries me because Indiana always seems to struggle at Northwestern. They always seem to take them lightly. And that's really going to be a big test right there. Both teams are in the top 60, according to Ken Palm. But, yeah, really the one I'm looking forward to is that stretch of Wisconsin, Purdue, and Michigan. It'll be a really good test for these guys. And to see, uh, as you saw last year, they kind of, they kind of hit their peak in conference play, so if they can get going through the month of January and February, who knows, uh, that will be the real difference between if they can win the big ten or not in the second year in a row. Yeah. Um, now, forgive me if you went through this when you were on the first time, because um, I really wasn't able to hear you. I hear you a lot better now. Um, if if you're talking to someone who hasn't seen IU play yet or has only seen them play, uh, you know, once, what 
what's the strength of this team that, you know, may, what's something that Indiana can do as well as anybody in the country? Well, it's obvious they can shoot the ball as well as anyone in the country. But come with your strength in shooting comes, uh, if your shots aren't falling, then what are you going to do? Because we saw in the Butler game, Indiana's shots weren't falling, and therefore the result happened. We lost by five, and it should have been a – we played terrible because we couldn't shoot the ball. And it should have been a larger margin than that. We were down by, what, 14 at halftime? And it showed because we couldn't do anything on offense. When we got the ball to Thomas Bryant, we jumped out to a 6 nothing lead. Uh, maybe it was even 8 nothing. I don't remember, but it was something like that. So definitely a team on the offensive end that really their biggest emphasis is shooting the ball from the perimeter and playing really fast, sometimes almost too fast. There's a difference between fast and quick, and sometimes these guys play fast and quick. So, And when they play a quick offense, they're more structured, they have nice spacing, and their shooters are open. Like James Blackman, OG, Juwan Morgan, Thomas, every guy on the floor can shoot. And another thing on offense to add is they have no point guard play, like I said earlier. Josh Newkirk is not the guy I want to have as my starting point guard for a team like Indiana. He's quick. Even though he's quick, he's athletic. He can kind of shoot, but he kind of just makes dumb decisions. And I don't know. I don't really trust him with a team with much talent. I mean, he was a backup at it for a reason. And on the defensive end, I mean, there's potential there. We have some guys who want to get down in the stance and defense. James Blackman is not one of those guys. Uh, <laughs> he, he really struggles on the defensive end. Uh, we have guys like OG Ananobi, who's known to be a great defender. Juwan Morgan, great rebounder, great defender in the post. Usually guards the best guy. Uh, well, now, because Colin Hartman's out. But he's usually been the defensive catalyst this year with OG being out. Then you have Thomas Bryant, who I really can't get a grip on Thomas Bryant. Uh, what well, his team to great on offense, but doesn't have much defensive ability. Uh, I really kind of hope he stays for a year, not just because I want him to stay in the year for us to be good next year, but I think he really needs the extra year. So to put it all in conclusion, I think if you hadn't seen the Caillou team, they're definitely a fun team to watch. Uh, they get after on offense. They shoot three. They can rise up and come home. They like to get the crowd into it, like to get excited. But on the defensive end, they struggle. Uh, just getting down his pants and defending for 30 or for 30 seconds because, I mean, maybe they're not used to it because they play so fast on the offensive end and they just like to get out and run. But I think as a team, Indiana is definitely a fun team to watch. Uh, they're very unpredictable. Um, they'll either kill you with three or you'll kill them by forcing them to shoot three because they really like to rely on the perimeter. So uh, I think this Indiana team, I mean, I don't know if they have a good shot of winning the Big Ten. I'd like to think so. But, yeah, like I said earlier, there's a couple stretches where I really don't know how they'll perform. Uh, I don't know how deep they'll be come then. You never know with injuries and stuff. You've seen past or like suspension. So, I don't know. I'm not really sure with this team, but I think they can be a good, they can be a, maybe a Elite Eight, Final Four team if need be, depending on 
what draw we get in turning. So that's what I think about IU. I mean, that's uh, you clearly know them uh, real well. My, yeah. I, I think I, I have to ask, just given the conversations we have internally every day, uh, how do you feel about Tom Crean? Tom Crean? <laughs> uh, personally, yeah. well, he's, he's a funny-looking guy. I'll give it, I'll give it to uh, some fans. Yes. Uh, yes. But I honestly, I don't know. You can clearly tell in some games he just gets out coached, like in the Butler one. They really had no answer for any of those. For that Martin guy, Julian Martin, he's just torching us from the outside. And then there's some games where you're like, this guy's the best coach ever, like some of the adjustments he makes. And it's always been a, a constant theme watching IU games with my dad and our family friends. Uh, they really like to count how many weird substitutions he has. Because he has some of the most unique lineups. And I remember one time watching the game a couple of years ago. Some guy hit like three threes in a row, and then the next dead ball he took him out, and we didn't see him again for the whole half. So that's kind of I'm kind of on the fence with Tom Green. I'm more leaning to liking him because well we we saw what happened last year. They really struggled at the beginning of the year, and then they turned it on. And I really think that's a testament to his character and not giving up on his team and really. Trying to keep battling, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and if you you got a guy like that who's had NBA players like Cody Zeller, Victor Oladipo, and Dwayne Wade when he coached at Marquette, you really respect the guy and kind of see his career record and how he's really turned the Indiana program around after it was basically in the trash after all those uh, allegations and stuff. So personally, I think Tom Green's great for the program. Uh, I would be surprised. If uh, if we actually fire him eventually, if we keep underachieving, as some people say, but I think he's got this program in the right direction. He knows what guys he wants in his system, like the OG and uh No one really knew about him coming into last year, and now he's one of the top players in the country and a potential lottery pick in the upcoming NBA draft. So I really think Tom Green's a great, not only a great coach, but just like a great developer, knows how to relate to his players and really get them to buy in what he wants and what's best for the team in general. You, you know, I I think it's great that that you say that because that is something um, that I don't think Tom Crean gets nearly enough credit for. Uh, how much of a player's coach he is, um, how good he is at finding the right guys for his system and really making them the best that they could be. Um, yeah, I mean, on his team. Yeah, definitely. And every time IU loses, too, you know he's gonna. You're gonna see a couple of fire Tom Green uh, tweets, but that's just the passion Indiana. Indiana fans have their basketball program, so it's tough right. to be in a to be a coach in that kind of program with that kind of fan base. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you're you're held to that standard of you need to be in contention for the final four every year and it's just such a hard thing to do especially in a conference as good as the Big Ten I mean you're going to stumble no matter how good you are uh, occasionally yeah I mean even this year with people saying that talent's going to be down the Big Ten's still going to be very good this year very competitive so I'm excited yeah. to have to play oh I am 
I am too, and not just the Big Ten, obviously, everywhere. Um, yeah. Can't wait for the real games to start. Um, so listen, I want to thank you so much for coming on to talk about Indiana. I want to congratulate you again on um, on your win in my really stupid contest. Um, I still <laughs> have your foam sword, and I haven't gotten around to sending it yet, but I will. Um, it's That's really right. beautiful, right. and it's gonna. I want you to display it prominently in your home. I'll make sure to put it in my dorm room next year. Yeah, perfect. All right, that was uh, Sean Boxy, 2016 Silver Sword champion. Um, great having him out to talk Indiana basketball uh, for a little bit. It's a uh, it's a passionate fan base, guys, and he was certainly a, uh, a passionate fan. Yeah, that's what yeah, really he cool uh, here. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I think he he had the nail on the head for, for a lot of the things. I think opinions about Tom Crean were good, great talent, great actor, great talent developer. Still trying to, I think the final piece is becoming a great in-game coach. And I think, yeah, he really kind of summed up kind of the outlook for the season. They have we've seen flashes that they can be great, but if they play it all together that's to be decided. Yeah. Um absolutely. So listen, we've got time left before we get booted off of this. Um is there anything we haven't talked about that we should go over? Um I know we wanted to do like a uh first month, six weeks of the season uh, some big takeaways. So I guess maybe we could do that. Um, what has what have been the teams who have really impressed you, guys that maybe you didn't expect um, so far? Who's disappointed? Uh, throw it out to anyone for anything. Uh, UNC Wilmington for me. Uh, looking at their resume, they've got wins over some of the better mid-major teams in the uh, country, East Tennessee State's been really good this year. Uh, a neutral court win over, or neutral court loss to Middle Tennessee. They got a win over the the Bonnies last week. And I think they, yeah, they cracked into the top 50 of the Ken Palm and they're really starting to look like um, kind of the heavy front runners for the uh, Colonial uh, conference. Yeah. Um, I, I think they would be my biggest uh, positive surprise. What about uh, disappointment? Uh, I would, for me, I would say San Diego State. Um, like we touched on earlier, we they're not bad by any means, but I think a lot of people were kind of foresaw them going into conference play with only one loss, that loss being Gonzaga, but losing games to Loyola, Grand Canyon, uh, Arizona State, they're only one game above 500. That's not typically what we see out of the Steve Fisher team. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that really three-game stretch, that really hurt them. Uh, they do have that win over Cal. Uh, that's a solid win. And they're going to have their chances. Uh, the Mountain West, though, as a whole, 
really doesn't look all that strong. And I guess maybe to the bright side for San Diego State is that if the Mountain West is a one-bid league, it doesn't really matter what they do out of conference anyway. They have to win their conference tournament. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and as you said, that uh, that the win they have over uh, uh, California is just like a weird, you know, because it's quite obviously it's it's not been a great. I mean, it's been a, 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 a disappointment, but then there's just like nice wins peppered in there, so it's kind of a strange non-conference schedule for them the way it turned out. Yeah. Um. I think another team that hasn't quite lived up to what we were expecting, but I think they're still good and I think there's still time, uh, is BYU. Mm. That that Utah Valley loss, that looks real bad. I'm willing to not overlook it, but, you know, just take it with a grain of salt. Man, we're, hate, we're, just, we're, we're hating on the whack here. We're hating on the whack. We're saying the Canyon loss is bad for San Diego State. We're saying Utah Valley loss is bad. No. I'm joking. I had to write it. So here, here's the thing, though. The, <laughs> the Utah Valley loss, Utah Valley is such a unique team in the way that they mm-hmm. play that it's almost somewhat forgivable that yeah. for them to have a bad night against a team that regularly scores 100 points. Like, yep. okay, it happens. There are other losses for Illinois in Illinois, uh, USC and Valpo, all good teams. Uh, yep. They've beaten Colorado and Princeton. I I say the, the jury's still out on them. I expected them win-loss-wise to be better at this point. Um, but I'm not ready to uh, throw in the towel on them yet. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, especially that first um, first week of the season when they when they played Princeton, um, they look great. You know, Eric, uh, uh, Eric Amika looked like a guy who's just going to be a, a, a matchup problem for whomever they play. And you certainly would expect, on a, after seeing that, I expected, you know, them to be able to beat a team like Valpo on a, on a neutral court, USC on a neutral court, Illinois on a neutral court. Not all of them, not going 3-0 in those games. But, you know, you at least would have expected them to get at least one of those. But um, I totally agree that they've got the potential to be, in a few months, to be probably the team that we thought they could be. But at the same time, they may not be. So, for being an too. They've not shot the three well at all, which is strange. Yeah, I, I think that is a little worrisome um, for them because it's not something that you would expect. And they also haven't defended the three very well. So mm-hmm. if, if you're not going to shoot and, it well, you better be able to stop it. Absolutely. And and I will walk back my whack comment a little bit because Utah Valley, is, I, I think there was a time when um, after the uh, BYU game, you know, a lot of people were excited about them. Then they went up to Washington State. Washington State's awful, so that's no accomplishment. But, you know, they – Still could have said they won, you know, at a Pac-12 school. They lost a close game there. They lost a close game to Utah. They lost a close game to Utah State. You know, and then they went and lost to uh, uh, Weber State this past week. So I think I think the wheels have kind of fallen off the momentum there. So um, not as, but but it's still I, I totally agree that it's a, it's a strange it's a strange style to play against. You can you can excuse that loss for BYU. Yeah. I, I, I will say I don't think Washington State is the worst team in the Pac-12. 
No, that's that's true. <laughs> Not by a uh, long shot. Yeah, but Oregon State is so friendly with the mid-majors. We kind of have to uh, cozy up to them, right? <laughs> oh, I know. And and they're, the um, the Oregon State SB Nation blog, Building the Dam, they are great on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a good time with them, and I like them, and I want them to do well. But while they're playing mid-majors, it's so fun to watch our team beat them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, mean I, don't, I don't know that. That Savannah State game is so strange just because, um, you know, granted, here I am with my, my power conference team having lost to a team from the MEAC. Here I am talking about how bad that was. But, I mean, it's just, you know, you're not going to see a MEAC team head out west and win a game against a Pac-12 team. Right. That, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing almost, right? I mean, sure, it's going to happen every maybe once in a blue moon, but that's just that's a result that you, you don't expect to see. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of conferences out there that you just do not expect to see pulling off upsets. Like, occasionally you'll see, you know, a team from the Horizon League or from the MAC full of shocker, and that happens. But the MEAC mm-hmm. is not one of those leagues. Like, they are yeah, regularly, you know, big. Yeah, like sub-300 Ken Palm teams here. Yeah. And uh, not to, you know, sit here and, bash uh, Oregon State all night, but it did need to be mentioned. Um, yes. W- one thing I forgot um, is that I did put out a call for questions and uh, you know, from our uh, Twitter community, so I guess we could answer some of those too, with, you know, given that we've thrown away any sort of organization that we had whatsoever, so let's just <laughs> Let's just talk and see what happens. Um, I think, but I, I do think one question we got that was really interesting and could be could make for some fun discussion. Um, Reed Fieldhouse asked, "What do mid-major success stories often have in common? Is it a coach situation, a style of play, roster makeup, etc.?" That's a really good question. Um, as I saw that and thought about it, the first thing that popped to mind was when I think of the mid-majors that you really remember, like uh, George Mason in 2006 or uh, BCU in 2007, you know, I think it's the – I'm sorry to bring that up. I'm sorry to bring that up. You can say Norfolk State there. I said it. I got it out. We're, yeah, Norfolk um, you know, uh, Yeah, so, so now, we're, now we're even. You know, I, I really remember – I remember the coaches. You know, I remember them at the press conferences. I remember how charismatic they were. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the, the first thing that pops into my mind when I, I think of those teams. Yeah, I I think coaching is definitely the first thing, but I think my response would be a combination of uh, coach situation and style of play because the successful mid-major programs tend to be very good at finding players that not only have talent but fit the game that they want to play. And I think the best example of that is VCU and uh, and Shaka, mm-hmm. where he coached or he built a very unique system at VCU. Um, they call it Havoc, and they brought in their they've turned out 
a whole bunch of really good guards. Guys who can really disrupt you defensively. Guys who can get up and down the court. So guys like Shaka know what they're looking for, and they recruit to that. So I think in that way, it's a uh, it's a combination. That's a great point. As you said that, you know the uh, the other thing that came to mind was uh, in that in that vein for me was uh, Davidson and Bob uh, uh, Killup because. I mean, obviously there's the big example there of a guy that he found that was under-recruited and, you know, is now a top-five player in the world. But, you know, he's got his system, and he seems to always have at least one guy in there that's just a superstar, you know, whether it was a Damon Brooks or a, or a, or a Jake uh, Cohen. Obviously now it's Jack uh, Gibbs, but he just, you know, he, he finds yeah. those guys, whether they're under-recruited or whatever. Um, so I think that's a great point that you made. Yeah, that's and and that, and that's another thing that it really it really helps if you can have a coach or a coaching staff who knows how to find those guys who maybe they're a two or a three star now, but in four years they can be you know they could develop into something really really good. Um, so I hope that that answers uh, that question. Uh, Another one we got from Mark Gump. How impressed are you with Monmouth's nine and two start slash their eight game winning streak? And, and I was going to say it's they're up eighty six eighty two right now in Princeton with yeah. forty three seconds left. Factor in ESPN three lag, so game could well be over. <laughs> yeah, they could have been two hours ago. Yeah, but so almost it uh, could be a tendency with another impressive win, a back-to-back. Or I don't, I don't know if the Memphis game was the last game they played. I, I uh, typed yep, in if Memphis that's not accurate. Was last win. Okay, I'm super impressed. I mean, I think they're great. Uh, Justin Robinson is obviously super exciting, and there were times in that a Memphis game that he was just he made shots that you know no one else, that very few people could make. So um. You know, and then Chris Brady is, you know, the type of guy down low that teams, you know, in in the MAC aren't aren't going to generally have. So they're they're, you know, in my opinion, they're they're awesome. Um, I I think we kind of, I don't want to say forgot about them, but kind of set them aside a little bit when they started one and two, even though those losses were to South Carolina and Syracuse. Um, just because they didn't pull off that crazy upset like they seemed to do every night last year. And then they went out and played uh, a bunch of sub-200 teams. So, you know, who really cares? But beating Memphis and Princeton back-to-back, certainly people will take notice. And now they have North Carolina up next. So that's a huge opportunity for them headed into MAC play. Um, If you remember, Monmouth was a team last year that, a lot of people think really should have gotten into the NCAA tournament. Uh, something that hurt them was a few bad losses uh, in the non-conference. It seems that they've avoided that this year. Um, you know, you, you never want to have the Ken Monmouth be that large team conversation in December because they play in the MAC. But it, it seems like they've done all the right things so far. <laughs> And I think we had uh, ah, our, our good friends at uh, Big East Coast Bias uh, when they heard that we were 
fielding questions. They said, I'll give you one of the questions we always get. When will insert coach here be fired? Uh, they said insert coach, usually JT3 or Chris Mullen be fired. Uh, <laughs> When do we think when do we think JT three is going to be fired? Let's start with that. I know Georgetown's not a mid major, but that's that's the conversation that I think needs to be had. Is there JT four waiting in the wings to take over the reins? <laughs> <laughs> I think they want to, to go be. outside of the Thompson family. I mean, Georgetown's just had they've had such a rough run lately. Fifteen and eighteen yeah. last year. Uh, it, it just you know uh, they have they still have they still have the a brand name where you know and I don't know well I mean uh, that's a good conference so um, they did beat Syracuse I mean as someone who's who followed the A10 pretty closely this year I I expect LaFayette to win that game that they played down in Miami um, they didn't so you know I think LaFayette is an okay team so I, I don't think Georgetown is going to bottom out like. They may have, but I mean that's a good league. So if you have another fifteen and eight, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen win season to go back to back at Georgetown, that's just the optics of that for Georgetown. I mean, there's certainly expectations there, right? That that's got to be close. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Georgetown's a program that prides itself on its like 1980s history, right? When yeah. they won a national championship, went to the championship game. They want to see themselves in that light um, as much as possible. And I think fans thought they were back there in 2007 when they went to the uh, Final Four, that team with Roy Hibbert, uh, Jeff Green, DeLon Summers. Um, And they just really haven't done it since then. And the fact that their head coach is the son of their most famous coach ever um, and a Hall of Famer does not make things easier if you are going to transition away from that. Um, I, I I feel so bad because I I do like JT three. I think he's a he's a good guy and John Thompson Jr. Uh, I know people just have great things to say about him, but yeah, they I think they need to they need to show something this year or it's going to be uh, there's going to be a problem in. Uh, in D.C. I mean, in that, that lost Arkansas State, the fans were already chanting fire Thompson. Yeah, you know, as you specifically to mid-majors, after I looked at that question, I couldn't, I was trying to think of, you know, because obviously as a coach of a mid-major, you get a lot more rope than you would at a power conference for the most part. I was trying to think of a program that at least recently has had, you know, a sustained run of success. It's been down for a few years, and I couldn't really – I was having a hard time finding anything because um, that, that would be the guy, I think, that would be on the hot seat. The only thing I could uh, come up with, you know, I didn't think about this that long, but was North uh, Texas, who, you know, all the jokes you want to make about uh, Johnny uh, Jones, you know, when he was there, they were, you know, a solid team year in, year out. Um, and he was there a long time, right? Um so Tony Benford is their coach now, and they've kind of been, you know, under 500 um, every year he's been there. Um, and I believe it's been four or five years. Let me check. 
two, three, four, five years. But again, that's, that's not a good answer, and that's really so. I'm certainly interested to hear if you guys have any thoughts on uh, mid-major coaches that might be on the hot seat. Um, I mean, aside from like the the obvious, like teams that are just never good. Uh, John Gallagher at Hartford probably needs to uh, turn things around very soon or he'll be uh, out the door. I think Chris Casey at Niagara uh, is a similar situation, but those aren't programs that you expect to be Mm -hmm. contending for an NCAA tournament bid. So I don't know if you could really say, you know, that they, you know, that that is, well, it's not a highly sought after job for sure. Um, there's no consistently good mid-major that's in a really downward spiral uh, right now, at least that I could think of. Or actually, no, that's not true because UNLV exists. But Marvin has been in his first year, so you can't count them yet. Yeah. Is there anybody in this Summit League, uh, Chris, that – that is on the hot seat, right? Like, I know Oral Roberts is having a down, like, a little bit of a down year, even though they almost beat a Creighton. But I wouldn't think Scott Hutton would be anywhere near the hot seat. Or is that, is that not no. right? I mean, you're probably right. I don't think he'd be on the hot seat for one down year. I mean, he's been there, yeah, for probably 15 or so years. Yeah. Obviously, Fort Wayne has uh, been great under John Kaufman. IUPUI is on the come up with uh, Jason Gardner. Uh, TJ Ethelberg just took over at South Dakota State. He was on uh, Fred Hoiberg's staff at Iowa State. Um, Rodney Billis at Denver's in his first year. Um, this year, probably not any coaches on the hot seat per se, but um, maybe a coach like Billy Wright at Western Illinois in the coming years if he can't get anything going. Um, he might be might be out of a job if he can't start uh, making some progress there. Hmm. It's a hard question, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it is. One name to throw out there, maybe, and I don't think he's there yet, but if this season doesn't materialize the way many people hope, um, what do you think about Derek Kellogg at UMass? Great. That's a good great one. Season. That's a great season in 2014, 24-9, went to the NCAA tournament. 2015, seven, they went 17-15 and 15. last year. They're 14-18. and 18. This year, off to a decent start at 8-3. and three. Uh, They have a good win over Temple. But, you know, what, what about Kellogg? Because you matched the team that many thought could be an NCAA tournament team this year. And they, I mean, yeah, they could be. Yeah, no, that's a great one um, because, you know, and that's an interesting thing because, you know, since he played there and he was, you know, like a huge part of the program as a player, it's hard to, you know, I don't know if that, that adds another layer to it that's not other places. Um, so he's been there, let's see, he's been there since 2009, and they've only been to one, and they they only went to the NCAA tournament uh, one time in 2014. So that's, you know, the, the expectations they have there, I would have to think suggest that, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have all the time in the world left. Um, And and, and I did another thing that's interesting is that he did have this huge uh, class come in this year that was so high and so highly regarded. 
Um, right. That I don't know if that, you know, certainly probably, you know, even if they're not, as you said, they're having an okay year so far and certainly have the potential to go on a run here in A-10 play. But even if they didn't, I almost wonder if that, you know, buys them more time as well. But I think, I think, I think he's a great, you know, uh, person of interest here. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll say, again, I I know I've said it before on the site, I still really like UMass this year. I still think they're going to end up being a good team, so I don't want to hint at all that I think Derek Kellogg is in any danger. Um, that's just a program that is used to having a lot of success, and I think he's given us every reason to believe that this year he can turn it around. I just think that he has to. Uh, this year or next year. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we have bored people enough for tonight. Uh, Any final thoughts uh, before we go? We probably won't be back until after the holiday. Um, So that will be right around the start of conference. I got nothing for tonight. I think we did a pretty good job actually staying on track for once. You guys think you guys think a Christmas story is a Christmas movie? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't know. I'm not I, I figured I, I figured we'd come to a consensus on something, right? That you, you can end it on a positive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that I, funny I watched... story. <laughs> what? I was gonna say, uh, Christmas story is kind of a funny, funny movie in our household. My dad has his, these childhood pictures of him. And he looks exactly like uh, Ralphie does down to the glasses, <laughs> blonde hair. So I hold that one special to my heart. Oh, that's bit. awesome! I'm going to assume that you, your dad is from Indiana. Is that is that right? Is that a correct a yep. assumption? Yep. There you go. So there's more. Is Hoosiers a Christmas oh, movie? Hoosiers <laughs> is not. A, sure it is. Hoosiers <laughs> is not a Christmas movie. <laughs> Though I, I will say Christmas Story does fall into that, that category of it's kind of sad that most people just get to enjoy it, you know, for one month out of the year. That's something that should be able to watch all year round because it is, it is hilarious. But nothing's stopping you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's a great point. Yeah, but who, who's going to take out that movie in July and watch that? I don't know, probably the same person that would pop in Home Alone because it's not a Christmas movie <laughs> and you can watch it any time of year. Touche. I watched Home Alone 2. It was on over the weekend. It was so good. So good. How was uh, POTUS elect in it? Uh, it's it's so weird to see him uh, yeah. hanging out in the Plaza Hotel. Oh, man, that is just... Oh, that's strange. That is very strange. All right. Well, what was the, what's the best sports what? thing that happened to you? I was just going to ask, what's the best Ooh. sports thing that happened to you guys in 2016? Oh, boy. Uh, Jalen Adams. <laughs> His three-quarter court shot <laughs> against Cincinnati. There you go. Greg? Well, I uh, oh come on, that's um, easy. Yeah, I grew up in Chicago, so on the north ah. side of Chicago, so that's it was pretty sweet. But you know, as 
things have unfolded since then with Missouri basketball and the way things have been going with Missouri football, I, I see that I'm having to pay for that very dearly in other ways. So that's okay, I, though. I thought you were going to say it was Missouri's win over Tulane uh, in November. Ooh, but that was good. <laughs> and, you know, according to us, that's a, power five, that, that's, a power conference, that's a power conference win. So <laughs> I will take it. I'll take it all day. Yeah, they're they're playing uh, they're playing Illinois tomorrow night, and I know Illinois is not great, but that is that's going to be ugly. So, Ugh. how about you, Chris? Uh, probably Indiana beating Kentucky in uh, in the tournament last year. It's always nice to get a win over Big Blue Nation. Yeah, if I could watch that was a really and, and, yeah. a, and, and a Tyler Ulysses go head to head all day, I, I'd do it. That was awesome. Right, are we done? Well, actually, so. I'm going to end with a trivia question that I've got oh, here that I, cool. I meant to ask. It's not a good one. It's not good. I meant to ask Sean, but I uh, forgot. Right, so right. I'm going to ask you, Chris, because this, this is a perfect IU you know, uh, uh, substitute. Who is the last, according to our definition, mid-major team IU has beaten in the, in the NCAA uh, tournament? This should be this should be easy. Oh, okay, God. According to our definition, who is the last mid-major team IU has beaten in the NCAA tournament? Uh, it's last year. Uh, the Chattanooga, right? Yep. Yeah, there you go. All right. And who, and who was the leading scorer in that game for IU? Uh, just, that is a stupid so, question. Let's put, put that out there. Uh, they, they, I mean, I'd... I would assume Yogi Farrell or yeah, James Black. Yogi. Yeah, Yogi. Yogi Farrell had 20 points and a 10 assists. Miss that little guy. Who was the last major <laughs> team that IU has lost to in the NCAA tournament? Which uh, state the uh, year there before, right? Sorry to sorry to bring up sorry to bring up that. Memory. It happens. Can't really yeah. can't be too mad about a loss to Fred yep. Van Vliet and Ron Baker. Yep. Yep. Uh, it was a bad question, so I'll do better next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll all try to do better next week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> thanks, for, uh, thanks for hanging with, in with us, everybody. Uh, remember to keep reading our site, midmajormadness.com. We'll have a bunch of fun crap up for you uh, for the rest of the month and into the new year. We'll be back uh, on the podcast. I don't know, probably next week sometime when we all get our lives together after Christmas. Uh, Until then, for Greg and Chris, I'm Russ. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in and bearing with us tonight. Have a good night.